So please stand for the reading of God's word. James, carried along by the Holy Spirit, wrote these words. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Father, thank you for your holy word. Thank you for the servant, James. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for moving him to record these words. And how for thousands of years they have fed your people. And Lord, as we come to this specific place, preparing to come to the table, help us to see what your word is teaching us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I've mentioned a few times during this study, uh, people often say they love the book of James. And I think I know why. We love when things are practical, when they're specific. And James is very practical. He deals with issues that we face every day, and this is one of them. Truthfulness, um, not speaking falsehood. In fact, the application from this passage is very easy to see. Uh, James gives us a negative. The negative is don't swear. Don't make these superfluous oaths, not by heaven or by earth. And it's interesting what James is doing there. He's really just repeating what Jesus, his brother wrote, or what he said in the Sermon on the Mount. It's recorded in Matthew 5. It doesn't mean that we're never to make oaths. It just means that we're not to make superfluous oaths. And what was happening so often in this time is that they were making oaths so that they didn't have to keep oaths. And so they knew they weren't supposed to swear in the name of God, so they went to as high as they could without actually being God, so the things that God created. And Jesus and James is saying, that's not appropriate. But what he's really getting at is that Christians are to keep their word. In fact, if Christians would keep their word, there's no need to make oaths. But the very fact that we don't keep our word means we say things like, I promise. Or people ask us, do you promise? Let me give you an example. If you've ever told one of your children that you're going to go and get ice cream later today, and they look at you and say, do you promise? Well, there's a reason they've said that. And that's because at some point in time, you told them you would go get ice cream, but your yes wasn't your yes. You didn't go get ice cream. And so now they're suspicious. You said yes before. But now, do you promise this time? You see, my friends, the word of God given to us here from James is really about his people. He's writing it to us, brothers, sisters in Christ. Keep your word. I want to look at this text just briefly before we come to the table, looking at three things. I want to look at the lies we tell. I want to look at what it means to change our minds and how that is a, a way in which we don't keep our word, our yes is our yes, or our no is our no. And then I want to look at how we fall short in the commitments we make. It may sound like a lot in 15 minutes, but I don't think it is. I think we will be able to see some pretty significant things here. First, we tell lies, all of us. You don't have to teach a, children, a child to lie but you must teach a child to tell the truth. Um, 
And people who don't deny original sin or that children are born sinners usually don't have children. At a very early age, they learn to lie. They lie because they're afraid that if they get caught or tell the truth, they're going to be punished. We all tell lies. I want to give you eight different types of lies. Number one is the half-truth. You tell the truth, but not all of the truth. This is what Abraham did when he claimed that Sarah was his sister. That was true. She was his half-sister, but he didn't mention that she also happened to be his wife. Then there's the white lie. These are the innocent lies that you don't think are going to hurt anyone. You call in sick to work when you're really well. You see, the truth matters in even the smallest of ways. Then thirdly, there's the lie to cover for someone else. If I ask my assistant to say, I'm not in, tell people I'm not in when I'm really in, that's a lie. There's other things she can say. He's not available. But we have to be careful, even in the smallest things, because integrity is everything. And if right now you're beginning to wonder if that's true, lean in. Listen, truth matters. Four, there's the exaggeration. Exaggeration is stretching the truth to make yourself look better or to evoke sympathy. You may do this on a resume or in an interview. You may do this in a conversation with a small group when they're talking about their story of rescue. And frankly, yours doesn't sound that exciting. So you just embellish it a little bit. Exaggeration is something that many preachers are guilty of and teachers. In fact, just a couple of weeks ago when I shared this story about the vet injecting my finger instead of my dog's leg with the, the, the medicine that would put the dog to sleep, you gasped. Later that afternoon, one of our elders sent me an email, did that really happen, question mark? You may have wondered the same thing. Yes, it really happened. And I pray that I would never say anything from this pulpit that didn't really happen. Sometimes the stories are pretty, pretty amazing. I'm an amazing person <laughs> with an amazing life. I remember a lot of things. I forget some things. I'm teasing if you don't know me. But the truth is, I have to have integrity. My mother, when she was still alive, would listen to the sermons. And if I even hinted at something that wasn't quite right, she would let me know. I learned that early. It's important to have integrity in every way. There's also, fifthly, the silent lie. The silent lie is when the other person assumes something flattering about you that is clearly false, but you don't speak up to correct it. Let me give you an example. I'm not a doctor. I don't have a PhD. I don't have a D-min. I'm actually not planning and moving in that direction. The Lord may change my mind. But because of the size of this church, because of the size of this church in our own denomination, people assume that I am a doctor. And so when I go places to speak, if they have a bulletin, it might say Dr. Mark Davis. It's important for me to make sure that they understand that's, that's not really my, my title. 
It doesn't bother me, but it would be deceitful for me to feel something proud about that. And it would be a lie if I didn't speak to it. Number six is the cover-up lie. You hide your own wrongdoing with the rationalization that it would hurt the other person too much to find out the real truth. Underneath that, and really underneath all these lies, is fear. It is the fear of what would happen to you or to the other person if you spoke the truth. Seven, the evasive lie. The evasive lie is when you simply change the subject or conveniently dodge the truth by not answering directly. I told the students who just joined the church that that's going to be a tactic that they will be tempted to play. Your overwhelmed mother, your overwhelmed father, you're beginning to talk about all sorts of things, and you'll just try to change the subject. That is a form of falsehood. It is a form of lying. One more I'll mention, and that is taking credit for something that is not yours. It's called plagiarism. That's something else that happens in pulpits all the time, too, where ministers neglect to cite their sources. For example, if I didn't say what I'm about to say, I would be guilty of number eight. All seven of these are a list that was created by a minister named Stephen Cole. When I came across them, I thought that's a great list of the ways in which we lie. It doesn't change the impact because I say someone else came up with this list. If it does, then we've got bigger issues. It doesn't. For me to say, did you read what Tim Keller wrote or John Piper said or Charles Spurgeon? But the temptation for many ministers is to feel like their congregation will think they don't study hard, they don't prepare, or they just want you to esteem them in a way that's very unhealthy, prideful, motivated ultimately by fear, though. Whenever we take credit for something that is not ours, it's telling a lie. The Lord our God is serious about lying. He is serious about us speaking the truth because we, as his, as his representatives on this earth, must keep our word. We must be people that when we say something, we mean it. James just echoes what Jesus said. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Speak the truth. So often, as the Lord's called me in this particular time and place for this specific role, with our staff and all of our leaders, we, enter, we, we get tangled in all kinds of challenges. And I am constantly urging our staff and our elders, our officers, just tell the truth. Always tell the truth. But when the truth is hurtful, or when the truth makes us look bad, the temptation is to try and choose one of these seven or eight ways of lying because we're afraid of being hurt or hurting someone else. We can't do that. We simply must let our yes be yes and our no be no. Let's move to the second category. We change our minds. I had a dialogue this week that was very helpful. One of our members, I won't say who, really challenged not challenge, she encouraged me to think about an aspect of this text that I think is very important. And that is so often in this world, in this day and age, we say yes to so many things. Why? 
because we're afraid of, of letting people down, of, of hurting people. But the problem is we say yes to so many things that we overcommit ourselves. And then sometimes after we've said yes to something, something better comes along. And so we end up saying no, either by just not showing up or by maybe telling another lie or simply just changing our mind, not thinking very deeply about the unintended consequences of how it reveals we're not keeping our word. I'm not saying that there will never be appropriate moments to change our minds, but I do believe that we're in a culture that changes their minds constantly. And it's creating a younger generation that really doesn't know how to navigate that with much integrity. Here's what I mean. I'm gonna give you a specific example. Parents set up a play date. And the children both are looking forward to it. One maybe more than another, I'm not sure. But in this case, they're both looking forward to it. But then some better offer comes along. Though both the parents have agreed, this date works, this time works, this will be fun. We've said yes. Suddenly a, a different friend or a different opportunity is given. And it's actually in the child's mind better. So instead of teaching the child this opportunity for, we said yes, we're going to keep our yes. Instead, the mom calls the other mom. This isn't going to happen this week. Sorry, this is what came up. Now you might think that's not that big a deal, but that's because you're not thinking about the child who's left going, how come we're not going to get to play when they said we would? Again, you might not be thinking that's a big deal. That's kind of my point. It's a big deal. Because here's what happens. Slowly that child begins to understand that it's okay to break your word. And actually what happens so often, and you know it's true, so don't push back on this. The child finds out what that other child did. And the wound goes deeper and deeper. It's an unintended consequence of a child feeling like nobody really keeps their word. And then he grows up in a world where he now says, I can do the same thing. I'm going to say yes to lots of things. It's only Thursday, Friday night's coming. All my friends are going to do this. I don't want to commit to anything yet because something better might come along. And then it does. You can't do everything. You've overcommitted yourself. And now you've got to begin to explain why you're not available. We need to be different. Slower to commit, yes, perhaps. But once we do, unless the circumstances are extraordinary, we ought to be very cautious of not saying no once we've said yes. I see what this looks like in the lives of children's, children and families. Think about your own pattern. If that's there, I think it's a big deal. Lastly, we, shall, we fall short in the commitments we make especially the big commitment to the Lord. This is why this is important. Some of you right now, because of the families you were raised in, you're kind of feeling good about yourself. I was raised in a family that told the truth. If you didn't tell the truth, the consequences for that lie were far greater than if you would have just said what the truth was. And you, I was a child that did things often I shouldn't have done. And I knew the consequence was coming, but I knew the consequence if I said, yes, I did it, was far, going to be far greater if I had lied. And it's tempting to think, you know what? Those eight 
types of lies that Mark mentioned, I'm innocent. I don't do that. You also might be saying, you know what, I don't, I don't say yes and then no. But the truth is, we all fall short of the glory of God and keeping the commitment that we made to Jesus. Here's what I mean. The group of young students standing here and the other half standing over there said, I do five times today. And I believe in the sincerity of their heart, they mean that. But just like a couple months from now when about 100 people are standing up here, adults, will answer the same five questions, we know the truth is we're all going to stumble, we're all going to fall. We're all going to have to take a confession like we did today, every day, and say, I've fallen short. I told the Lord I would do this. I told the Lord I'd stop doing this. And we fall short. If you don't think that's who you are, you're living in great deception. Be encouraged. The Bible is full of people like that. Think about Peter. When Jesus said, you will all flee, what did Peter say? To Jesus, not I. Everyone else may run, but not me. I will lay down my life for you. And then Peter, three times when asked if he knew them, he called down curses upon himself. May I die if it is made known to be true that I knew him. That's what he was saying. What happened to Peter? Fear. Fear of what might happen to him if he told the truth. That's what motivates our yes and our no. What did Peter experience? You know what Peter experienced? The profound shame of saying, I don't even know him. Hearing the rooster crow, seeing the eyes of Jesus. But the story doesn't end there. The story ends with Peter seeing a man on a shoreline having a feast. The man on the shoreline was Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He was the one sent by the Lord because the Lord said in the beginning of Genesis, I will send a Redeemer. I will save my people. I will keep my promise. This is the yes. Jesus Christ came. And while he walked upon this earth, 100% man, 100% God, he experienced constant temptation to not keep his yes, to not keep his no. Jesus Christ never once sinned so that he could become the perfect sacrifice for us who will constantly say yes and then no, and no and then yes. Jesus Christ is the word of God and the only one who has completely kept his word. And Jesus kept his word all the way to the cross. And on the cross, the last words he breathed out included the statement, it is finished. So that whoever would trust in Jesus wouldn't trust in their own ability to say yes and keep it, or their own ability to say no and keep it, but they would trust in the mercy of one who did, who is, who will keep his word. 
And this God is the one who offers mercy. This God is the one who's perfecting us, enabling us by the power of the Spirit actually to keep our yes and keep our no. But when we fall short, he gives us the mercy. And the most beautiful picture of mercy is Jesus on the shoreline saying to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Peter, be my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Be my lambs. Peter, do you love me? He was sad that he asked him a third time. Peter denied him three times. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my sheep. And Peter did. Peter wasn't perfect between that moment and when the Lord took him home. But he grew. Frightened before the girl and the others that said, are you with him? Peter would find himself between the religious and governing authorities. They would tell him to stop speaking in this name. And Peter would say, judge for yourself whether it is right for us to obey God or men, for we cannot help speaking about that which we have seen. But the hero of this sermon and every sermon is Jesus, not Peter. Jesus keeps his promise. He keeps his word. 